Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Thursday, October 8th of 2020. We are so grateful, as always, to have you, the listener, come and join us as we have become part of a, a, a family of sorts in the Lord, right, as the body of Christ, coming together and fellowshipping in the Word, studying the Word, gleaning from, from the Word of God. And we are always honored and glad to have you join us from wherever you're joining us from. And we are excited about what God is, is, is showing us. Uh, and when I talk about excitement, also comes with a responsibility that God has placed upon our lives to declare the Word of God. And so today, we're going to continue to glean uh, from Ezekiel, and, and I know God has something fresh. He has a fresh manna for us as we continue to study. Today in our podcast, in our panel, we have Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, and as always, it's, it's a pleasure and an honor to study the Word of God together. So Brother Marty, I'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We're continuing uh, in our studies in Ezekiel today, and we will probably be concluding our podcast series on Ezekiel today. We've we've been on quite a journey, and uh, we want to get right into it and discuss and hopefully uh, have inspired you in some way by the Spirit of God to to continue these studies and in, 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 into what the Lord revealed and quite possibly the parallels and patterns that we're seeing as a result. And we pray that uh, that you're touched this day with with where we're at and what we need to do <clears throat> to adjust ourselves accordingly uh, to the things that are being revealed. And so, Brother Jeremy, and those of you out there who have your Bibles, uh, please open them to the prophet Ezekiel chapter 9. And I'm going to have Brother Jeremy read verse 1 through 4, and we will begin our study today as we look further and deeper into the visions that were given to the great prophet of the captivity. And uh, we pray you'll be blessed this day in Jesus' name. Brother Jeremy, would you read verse 1 through 4, Ezekiel chapter 9? Amen. <laughs> he cried also in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the chariot, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the rider's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. 
Praise God. Go and set a mark on the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. As we get into our study today, we've been plowing the hard ground of Ezekiel chapter 8. Uh, we've explored the, the abominations that were revealed to the prophet Ezekiel, the, the sins of the nation, the sins of the priesthood, and the, the sins of the elders, and the sins of the ruling class, really, both political and religious. <clears throat> and really, when we picked up uh, this vision in chapter 9, you know, we're only four and a half years away now from the total destruction of the city, the capital city, the nation itself, the temple, everything they've ever known. And the sad thing is that they have absolutely no clue how close they are uh, to this time. Unbeknownst to them, really, uh, and, and this is something that we're looking at here in verse 9, the very nature of the temple its essence, the very nature of the of of the of the nation, uh, it, it, it was already changing. The the Lord was withdrawing His presence, and they have absolutely no clue. They're continuing business as usual. That's that's what the that's what the prophet was allowed to see. Remember, like we talked about in, in, in chapter 8, verse 1, it, it was the sixth month of the sixth year of their captivity on the fifth day of the month that Ezekiel describes that the hand of the Lord fell upon him there and removed his soul and his spirit from his body, lifting him in between the heavens and the earth and carried him in the wind of the spirit to Jerusalem. In the visions of God, that's what he said. I, and basically, he he saw things from the perspective of the eyes of God Himself. And what he saw in these visions we've been discussing, they actually were events that were taking place in the real, in the natural world. <clears throat> but God wanted him to see them not as individual acts of sin, but as ongoing reverberating reality in the realm of the spirit. Because remember what we said and what history reveals, they're about four and a half years away from destruction from the armies of of the global empire of that day and the Antichrist of that day, Nebuchadnezzar coming down and executing wrath upon the city. The very nature and dark quality of their behavior in the material world uh, caused the 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 approach of wrath to draw near to them and it didn't happen overnight i mean this is something that's been building the rabbis say actually that it'd been building since the days that moses went up to mount sinai and they built a golden calf. And and he says, uh, and they say that there, uh, as, and we didn't get time to look at it today, but but the, the Lord revealed to Moses that that He would destroy them. He would pour out His wrath on them because of it. 
people. We know that that generation fell in the wilderness, but their children, even before they went in to the promised land, he was telling them, I already know you're going to blow it. <laughs> when you go into the promised land, you're going to blow it. The seeds of idolatry were so deep that it 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 traversed itself through through the generations uh like you know like like this like when you plant something and you harvest it well every year the harvest gets more and more until the fruit's perfected that's kind of what we see here the 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 unwillingness to repent uh the compromised leadership throughout the generations which ultimately led them after the demise of or the passing of king david and then then the utter corruption that was instituted shortly after David passed away and his son Solomon builds the temple that we're talking about right here, Solomon ends up completely rebelling and and building houses to to demon gods for his wives. Uh, he unleashed a spirit uh, within the community of 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 the of God's people that they never recovered from. As a matter of fact, it was that sin that allowed the enemy, if you know your biblical history, to get in the nation and split the kingdom. Because it was after that Solomon had died, his son Rehoboam took over. And if you go and study your Bible, you'll see that there was another uh, prince of, of, of Israel named Jeroboam uh, who led a contingent of the ten tribes away from Jerusalem. They moved up into the northern part of Israel and established a new kingdom at Bethel in Samaria, in the old territory of Ephraim. And we ain't got time to get into all that, but it was very much uh, a spiritual deception. And so the, the nation split in two, but it had its origins in, 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 the, in the incredible desecration of the Holy Land by Solomon himself. And and it and they never recovered. Now, when the ten tribes split uh, and they went up into the north, um, they never had a good king. I mean, that up there is where where we ended up having the uh, Ahab and Jezebel, for example. I mean, they never had a good king. But Judah, on the other hand, they had a series of good kings and bad kings. But by the time we get to this point in history, uh, where Zedekiah is the final king, they will have. They're four and a half years away now. This has been coming for decades as they're getting closer and approaching uh, this ultimate judgment that would fall upon them. And unbeknownst to them, like we said, the very heart of the nation, this once inspired place, this, this place that once had the glory of God upon it and the favor of God upon it and the protecting hand of God upon it, was already under judgment. They had, like we've been talking about, they had been carried away six years earlier, thousands of them, including the best of the best of them, Prophet Daniel, Prophet Ezekiel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and the others. Mordecai was in that group. He was, you know, he was up in there. Esther, all them people that were part of that, that generation of the captivity, uh, they were all in, in that whole time period taken away. And, and the rise of a global system and, an, and a foreshadow of the Antichrist was growing until the point that the only thing that was left now, and I think Brother Jeremy pointed this out a few podcasts ago, was this nation. Jerusalem was its capital. The temple was its 
delusionary confidence. In other words, it, they, they didn't. They thought they were beyond ever being overrun, ever being taken captive, or ever being judged. And so, what Ezekiel was being allowed to see, as we've talked at length over the last several days, is the utter corruption that had penetrated the very realm of principality and power itself. And God showed this to him in the spirit. And once he showed them the the level of sin and how it's viewed in the spirit, we ain't got time to get into all this, but think of the implications of that, that the sin of the collective nation uh, pierced the veil of the natural world. And the implications of what the scripture is revealing here is that it transcended into multiple dimensions that shook the spirit realm and necessitated God himself, not an angel, not, you know, as we've talked about before, but God himself coming in his glory with his throne to retrieve his presence from the nation. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 9. He's come to retrieve his presence. So in chapter 8, like we spent days and days discussing, he reveals the sin. In chapter 9 now, he turns his attention to the consequences that will now come because they'd reached this level. And, And again, understand, Ezekiel seeing all this in the spirit, what's about to be unveiled to him is going to take place in the spirit before it takes place in the natural. They have four and a half years from this point but it's already a settled issue and Ezekiel is seeing it. And so when we get to chapter nine, he's, he's, he's done showing him all that they're doing. And then chapter nine, Ezekiel says, now this happened. And and that's what we're looking at today. Unbeknownst to them, the very nature of the temple, the very, the very blessing of the nation is changing. God is beginning to withdraw his glory from them in the realm of the spirit, and they have absolutely no idea it's taking place. But he's revealing it to his prophet from the captivity. Now, can you read verse 1 to us, Brother Jeremy? Because this is what Ezekiel says happened. He cried cried also in my ears with a loud voice saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon on in his hand, excuse me, with his destroying weapon in his hand. In his hand. Now, let's check this out here. First of what's the very first thing that Ezekiel reveals here is he says, he cried also in my ears with a loud voice. The he that he's referring to there is God himself, the Lord. So he finishes showing him all this stuff, like we've been talking about, the abominations. And then he he cries in the ears with a loud voice of Ezekiel. Now let's just pause here for a minute. Because we're talking about parallels. We believe that the same scenario is being played out in our generation and upon this nation and amongst God's people. Now, that's a heavy statement for a lot of people, but it is what it is, man. 
And you either see it or you don't. But what Ezekiel is saying here is that, and by saying he cried in my ears, what is this revealing to us? Let, let's just camp here for a second. So I think I think I think this is what this says to us. What what is a what is approaching them is not a faint impression in the prophet's thoughts or anything like that. It's a loud voice. And I believe that there are those who are like Ezekiel that have begun to hear this loud voice of the Holy Spirit like he did, indicating that there is something very eminent and ominous about to take place as a result of what has been revealed in the Spirit to the prophet of the captivity. What's approaching is not, I think it's like this, or it feels like this. He emphasizes he's hearing a loud voice, and he distinguishes it, which is very interesting to me because he says, it's a loud voice in my ears. Notice what he's revealing by saying that. This loud voice is emanating from the temple. Remember, we're seeing this in a vision, right? God's moving his glory. Mm-hmm. And he he yells with a loud voice in the house of God, and nobody hears it. <laughs> nobody hears it but Ezekiel. Any thoughts on that? I, I think that's a very, very powerful uh, insight um, as to how the servants of the Lord hear the voice of God in the midst of um you know, a time where it feels like he may not be talking. He's actually louder than he's ever been, right? But but it's a it's a distinct voice that few can hear, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what that's what we're telling the people. God is speaking loud today. Somebody say where, how? Yeah. <laughs> Show me. Yeah. And and, uh. and 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 the prophet Ezekiel hears it loud and clear, and it's emanating from the temple. That's a great point you brought out. I never considered that. So it, 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 it's it's amazing that the Lord from his temple is, is speaking loud and clear as, as to the abominations that are taking place um, within the temple confines and as to why he is leaving or removing his glory. Yes. Right? When he's when he's speaking loud, we need to pay attention. Yes. And and I find it interesting there, like you said, Brother Fernando, um, that that the voice is emanating within the house of God. And that what Ezekiel is he's still in the house of God, right? So what he is amongst is a bunch of preachers. He's amongst he's amongst all the priests. You know, you've got the priest over there. Uh, uh, who have set the image of jealousy at the north gate to the entering in where the brazen altar is. You've got the elders hidden in a secret room that God exposed to Ezekiel and told him exactly where it was in in chapter 8, verses that, uh, verse 8 through there, he begins to reveal to him the elders representing the whole nation, the spiritual condition of the nation, hidden behind a closed door. with no windows, uh, inside there uh, where they had carved 
demonic images uh, of the gods that were ruling their, their, their minds and their hearts, burning incense to them. You've got, and those are the elders, the ancients, he called them. You've got the women of the court, in the outer court, weeping for Tammuz. And then, to top it all off, you have the 24 men that head up the 24 courses of Levitical service within the house of God, all there simultaneously, with the high priest in their midst, making 25, turning their back on the presence of God and worshiping the sun. All of these were part of the ruling religious elite. Those in charge with the caretaking of the house of God. And God cries with a loud voice in his house. And none of them hear the voice except the prophet, Ezekiel, who he brought there. And that's why I think he emphasizes, he cried in my ears with a loud voice. He could hear it. They couldn't. They persisted, and this is such a scary thing, but they persisted in, in not only in just a little rebellion, but in absolute blasphemous rebellion. We'll talk about that in a second. Like we said, I believe that there are parallels to be learned here. Like Brother Fernando said, God is speaking loud and clear. The question is, can we hear what he's saying? There are many voices, and we're talking about the church in our country now. You've been with us long enough. We don't need to lay the, the, the foundation over and over and over again. Those of you who've been listening, if you've just joined us, go back and listen to several podcasts, and you'll understand what we're talking about. We're talking about the parallels that we see in this nation that we have seen take place before in history amongst those who claim to be a nation governed by the principles of the Word of God. And so what we are seeing here and what is being revealed and what is interesting is the prophet is representative of all those that are up under captivity. And and the truth of the matter is, and why he identifies in chapter 8, verse 1, that it's the sixth year of the captivity is because they were seeking answers. Things weren't changing. False prophets had told them early on that this initial incursion and captivity was all going to end in some great awakening, some great return to the glory of the days of King David and the early days of Solomon. They were all coming back. They're going to have this great revival, so to speak. That's what they were told early on. And now we're into the sixth year of this reality, and nothing has changed. But what's interesting, as we talked about in Jeremiah chapter 24, is that God revealed to the prophet Jeremiah that in essence, this, this unexpected captivity that took place, which literally separated people from people, people of God, from people that claimed to be the people of God, was actually the hand of the Lord. But when the Lord had done this captivity or removed them and separated them from the established religious order and took them far away from it, it was something that was so unfamiliar to that generation that they didn't know how to respond. We're not talking about the heathen nations of the world. We're talking about God's people, and the parallels are striking. And so by the time we get to the sixth year, they are asking questions. That's how it all starts. 
you've got verse one of chapter eight, where it says, it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah came and sat before me. They were seeking answers. They still hadn't realized that what was transpiring and what they were now experiencing was something that wasn't going to get any better. <laughs> it was going to get worse. And it had been a while now, and what they thought was going to happen didn't happen. And by God showing us his servant, Ezekiel, he's revealing that there are servants in the house of God that are going to hear correctly because he's going to show it to them in the spirit, which is what he did with his prophet. And what he sees in the spirit, he hears it, not as some faint, distant voice or a still, small voice in the cave of Elijah. <laughs> this is a loud voice. It became incredibly obvious to the prophet what he was hearing. And like we said, there are those who are like Ezekiel in this time, I believe, that are beginning to hear the voice of the Lord from within the house of God. And so we have to ask the question, what did he hear? What are we hearing? <laughs> right? I mean, what are you hearing out there? What do you think is actually taking place right now in the world? What is actually happening? Because that's what they were wondering themselves. What is going, what is this all leading to, right? So what is happening, it really has its origins in the dimension of the spirit. Because the next thing that happens is he, he's hearing God call, I don't know, how do you say it, the territorial protectors of, of the nation, the angels that were assigned by the Lord to protect the glory of God in Jerusalem are now being commanded and called forth to come forth and execute judgment upon the nation of God, his people, who have totally rebelled. You know, if you read, he, he says, cause them that have charge over the city to draw near. And then he says, every man uh, with his destroying weapon in his hand, call them forth. And that's what they did in verse 2. Can you read verse 2, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. It's incredible here because they come to execute judgment and they're symbolically seen uh, and understood by the position from where they came. What Brother Jeremy just read there in verse 2 is that they come by way of the higher gate, uh, which lies uh, to the north. And this is very insightful and something that we need to understand and grow up and understand. Because Ezekiel is seeing gates or the north. And what, what, what he's seeing, remember, is in the spirit. What it looks like in the spirit. And so their position is in the higher place, the higher gate. That's where they come from. They're coming from heaven, in the sides of the north. 
He's seeing gates. Now, the word, you know, the gates, understand these are openings. The gate is either closed or open. But they're coming from the highest gate of the north. It's symbolic of heaven in the sense that, that, that the positioning of these six, their charge and their commission is to protect the glory of God in the material realm, in Jerusalem, in the temple. But so close, as Paul would say, he's as close as the mention of, of his name, right? I mean, so close are the parallel dimensions. But as it's seen in the realm of the spirit, he calls it the higher gate toward the north. And we know that the north is the position that the ancients used to say is heaven itself. So these are openings. These are access points. These are, these are, go ahead, brother. What are you going to say? On that word higher, uh, it speaks about an elevation, lofty, as title, it means the supreme or most high, right? Uppermost. Uppermost. So these are adjectives and and that 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 uh that 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 speak of what the word highest to you know to to the point that it's coming from the north where God is at from heaven, you know. Yeah. A higher. It means high. It means upper, highest, most high. And and this is a very insightful thing that's being revealed. Are you going to say something else? No, no, just that, brother. Yeah, and so uh, could you turn over to uh, Job chapter 26 for me? I want I want you to read this scripture to us in Job 26. Uh, could yes. you read verse 6 and 7 and see what Job says there? Hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. He stretched out the north over the empty place and hang it the earth upon nothing. Yeah. <laughs> incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. It is. And that, that's what Job was Job way back when, you know, he he knew what NASA took, you know, billions of dollars to discover. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he already knew, right? But he he identifies the position of the north as being uh it, from that perspective the empty place of heaven, the northward point. It's very interesting because uh, we, you've heard of the infamous North Star, right? You know, that's, that's, that's that the northern star is the uttermost point of the Earth's access when you look into the heavens, and we ain't got time to get into it in depth, but um, the very natural realm is, is, is speaking of these things. The North Star, it's interesting because if for those of you who have ever studied uh, the constellations of heaven, as revealed in Job, God calls them the Mazarot. They they are the twelve constellations with which the solar system and the planets move through them in in the cycles uh, of of the movement of planetary bodies, the Earth and 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 all the other planets. They move through the constellations. In Job's day, when he identifies the North being stretched out. Um, when you look up into the sky, it's very interesting what is revealed there, because it almost seems to be telling us a story. In the ancient understanding of the Mazarot, as they call it, the 12 constellations, the 12 houses in the heavens, um, the, the house of the devil or the dragon 
is where we get uh, is represented in the heavens by the constellation uh, Draco or Draco, as they call it. What's interesting about Draco is it comprises one third of the stars of the heavens with that one constellation, which kind of hints at Revelation chapter 12, where the dragon uh, takes one third of the stars of heaven in his tail. Very interesting thing. But when you look at it, and you can go, you can go Google this, and it's, you know, it's not a state secret. Look at the North Star, and you'll see just beneath it, and and opening a path toward the North Star is the constellation of the dragon. It goes about halfway up on the star chart, and it stops. And then just below and to the right of the North Star are are is the Big Dipper. In the Little Dipper, you know, those Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, those constellations. Well, in the ancients used to say that the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, Ursa Minor, Ursa Major, uh, that they were, uh, they used to originally be representative of the sheepfold of heaven. God's sheep, major and minor, the church in Israel in the sands. And they're to the right. And there, there's a space between them, for lack of a better way to describe this that that is empty like job just described and the north star points the way toward that empty space you go beyond the north star and it's emptiness well of course now with our you know our instruments and stuff you know we can see much further but but from the perspective of the earth and the ancients they were revealing things about heaven and about god and and so when when Ezekiel hears the loud voice calling forth uh, of those who are at the higher gate from the north. He's he's speaking some very and having things revealed to us in some very profoundly uh, marvelous ways that God talks. And he says that these six come from that direction. So we understand from that that what he's revealing is that the origin of what is about to go down on this rebellious nation is is coming by way of decree of, of God himself, the Lord God Almighty, coming from the north. Like Ezekiel saw him in Ezekiel 1, 7. Even in Isaiah 14, it's revealed, right? When it talks about the original rebellion of Lucifer, he said, I will ascend above the stars of the, uh, above the heights of the clouds, above the stars of God, <clears throat> into the sides of the congregation of the north. So again, the directional point of view is considered northward. Paul revealed that there are three compartmentalized dimensions of heaven, right? He says, I was in the body or out of the body. He said, I cannot tell. He says, I knew a man, right? <laughs> Once who said he ascended into the third heaven. <clears throat> he said, and I saw things that I can't even talk about. <laughs> he talked about uh, three compartments of heaven <clears throat> or dimensions by which we traverse. And so whether it's far away or close, we know it's, 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 it's compartmentalized. And in this case, the language that's being used here is the higher gate, which leads toward the north, and that's where they came from. And as they draw near, <clears throat> excuse me, as they approach, it's really cool uh, in verse 2. Can you read verse 2 again, Brother Jeremy? And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, 
and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand, and one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. What's fascinating and what's beautiful to, to imagine, and if I had, I wish I had the vocabulary of a poet, we could describe this. But what he sees coming now, and, and what the Lord allowed him to see was these six angels that have charge over the city. And as they're descending into the inner part of the temple from the position of the north in the spirit, uh, one emerges from the midst of them. He's the seventh. We talked a little bit about that yesterday. This is a pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. He has no beginning or end. And what he is identified as wearing is being clothed with linen. So as he emerges out of the midst of the sixth, Ezekiel sees the great high priest of heaven. He's clothed with linen. And the six take a position, a protective position, uh, by the brazen altar. Now, he's wearing garments that only the high priest wear on the Day of Atonement, clothed in linen. Remember, the high priest would take his garments off, and he would enter the Holy of Holies, and he would, he would take the blood that had been offered on the brazen altar and bring it into the Holy of Holies and, and, and offer a drop of blood on the mercy seat, symbolic of the future one who was coming, uh, who would shed his blood on Calvary. And, and atone for our sins, so to speak. So what he sees as they're coming is it, it's so such an amazing thing to 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 meditate on. As they come from heaven, <clears throat> the six that have charge over over God's house and God's people and so forth and so on, one emerges from the midst of them, clothed like a high priest. He has his his rider's inkhorn by his side. He is the high priest, he is the Lord who records our name in his book. That's why he has an inkhorn there. And he comes clothed as the high priest. But what's really interesting to consider as well, and don't forget it, is Ezekiel, remember what he said in, 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 in chapter 8, verse 1, that this was the sixth year of the sixth month of the fifth day. And we identified the sixth month as being the month of Elul, in the Hebrew calendar, the religious feast calendar, which are the days that are meant to be introspection days in preparation for the coming 10 days of awe and then the day of atonement, which takes place after the 10 days of awe, which are 10 days of fasting and repentance for what you reflected on in the month of Elul as being your sins. And so it's no accident or uh, unintentioned uh, expression here that's being given to us. The six are coming. They're coming to execute judgment. And from out of the midst of them comes the high priest of heaven. This is, this is just days away from atonement. But the Father has them position themselves by the brazen altar. Very symbolic. Because even though the high priest is among them, the way of the altar is being blocked. In other words, what's being said here is that there is going to be no atonement for them. No more sacrifice will be allowed. See, this happened once about 100 years before that. Up in the northern kingdom, we touched on it a little bit. But Brother Jeremy, turn over there in Amos chapter 9. Could you turn over to Amos chapter 9? 
because when the ten when the ten tribes were judged, the same thing happened when it came time for their judgment in chapter nine. Can you read that, uh, brother Jeremy, to us? Uh, yeah, uh, verse one. I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and he said, Smite the lintel of the door, that the post may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Shall not be delivered. And so what we see here, is the judgment that was coming now upon the ten tribes. That was before Judah was judged. The ten tribes were judged about 100 years before. I think that's that's right. It might have given a few a few years. But do you notice where the Lord is standing at that time? He let the prophet Amos see that the time for their judgment had come. And we have God, the Lord himself, the Father, standing on the altar. And notice what he says. He says, smite the lintel of the door that the post may shake. He's using the language that was used of the Passover. If you remember at the Passover when the Jews were let out and during the time of Exodus, he had them take hyssop and the blood of a spotless lamb and put the blood over, strike the lintel of the, of the doorposts of their house with the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb. But in this case, in chapter 9, when Israel was about to be judged, the Lord reveals to the prophet Amos at that time, he was also standing at the altar blocking it. And when he says, smite the lintel of the door, it's without blood. There's no blood there. There's no atonement there. There's no forgiveness for them. And indeed they were destroyed by the Assyrian empire and carried away captive well before Judah's judgment came. Do you see that? Anybody there? Yes. 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 <laughs> so, so now comes time. Yeah. What were you gonna say, brother? What'd you say? No, no. I'm in complete agreement. Amen. So brother, Israel, brother was, Marty. Yeah. Brother Marty, is that gonna happen too at the end? Too right. That's where we're heading, right? Where he's gonna block sacrifices for being made, right? That's where we're heading. Well, yeah, I guess, you're, yeah, I hadn't really thought of it in that sense, but you're right, because that's revealed that that Israel itself, the regathered nation, is is still rejecting Christ. It's going to make a, a massive mistake, as as is revealed in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27, where where we talked about this before we started recording, right, where they, were, they are going to receive uh, the Antichrist as their Messiah. He's, he's deceiving them. And he will allow them once again to institute sacrificial offerings, which Jesus called an abomination that makes desolate. Why? Because it's an ultimate rejection of, of Calvary again, like their forefathers had done in rejecting the Lord. It, it, it led to the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70 by the Romans when they cried out when Pontius Pilate said, who do I release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? And they all yelled Barabbas. And then he says, uh, what shall I do with your king? And they said, we have no king uh, but but Caesar. And then he said, he said uh, I'm not guilty of his blood. And they yelled, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. That's what they said. They rejected the Messiah. 
And as a result, it would be 40 years later, we know that they would ultimately be destroyed and scattered to the four corners of the earth. It's going to replay itself again, like you said, Brother Jeremy, because the prophet Daniel says that that final generation, which we believe is ours, because we've seen all the prophetic things come to pass, the regathering of the nation after 2,000 years in, their, in the promised land of Israel, the recapturing of Jerusalem in 1967, 70 years to the day on May the 12th, uh, 19, uh, 2018, uh, 70 years to the day when Israel was established as a nation, the United States moved its embassy to Jerusalem and, and Israel took full possession of Jerusalem, not as a divided city, but as the eternal capital of the city, uh, nation state of Israel. These are fulfilled prophecies that are letting us know that that day you're talking about, Brother Jeremy, is at hand. And this abomination that makes desolate is just that. It is the uh, it is the offering of sacrificial animals in rejection of the Lord once again. And we know from the prophecies she will be judged again, as will the whole world. So here we see in Amos what you just read was God standing by the altar and not allowing sacrifice to be made for the ten tribes who had rebelled hundreds of years before and they ultimately ended up being judged by the Assyrian Empire. Hundred plus years later, it's time now for Judah. And that is why they come. They come from the north and Jesus emerges from them dressed as the high priest with an inkhorn this time. And the angels guarding the brazen altar symbolically revealing that there will be no more atonement. There comes a time when a nation sins against light. Not one or two people, but a, a collective sizable number, especially at the higher levels, sin against light. Because remember, they continue to persist in religious activity, but in secret. They were living like the devil, man. And that is, that's, that's, that's just what we're looking at here, right? So there will be no more atonement for them. No more sacrifices allowed. And so he has them in verse 2, go stand beside the altar. And then it says what in verse 3, Brother Jeremy? Could you read that? Yes. Uh, of, uh, uh, we're back to Ezekiel 9.3, right? Correct. <clears throat> Okay, and the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorns by his side. And said what? Read verse 4 too. I'm sorry. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the man, that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. So once they take position by the brazen altar there, symbolically what he's seeing in the spirit and what God was revealing to him is that the great high priest will not be allowed to offer the offering in the spirit world. This is mysterious stuff, but it's, it's fascinating. And, and the guarding of the altar to prevent any access or any, you know, what's the word, any rescinding of the judgment that's coming down here. Now, what's interesting is it says that God at this point appears to have, have is hovering in the temple because verse 3 tells us that his 
his glory uh, removes itself from on top of the cherubim that he's seeing and goes back to the threshold of the house. Do you see that? Verse 3. Mm -hmm. And the glory of the yeah. God of Israel was gone up from the cherub where he was. And he goes back to the threshold of the house and calls to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. Now, what is it that we're seeing? Because God is symbolically speaking to him by doing these things. He, he goes to the threshold to issue the edict. He goes and from that place. Now, the threshold of the house, again, like we've been talking about, the house is considered the holy place and the holy of holies. That's where the Lord dwells, in the temple. So he removes his presence and goes and stands right at the entryway to the holy place, which leads to the holy of holies. And it's from there that he makes a decree to the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, now go throughout the city and mark those, your people, basically. Why did he go to the threshold? Because it was very symbolic. If the holy place represents the universe, and if the holy of holies represents heaven, which it does, then to stand at the threshold of the, of the holy place, which is where he was, it, and facing the outer court, is, is in essence saying that judgment has come to the outer court. Judgment has come to the earth is what he's doing and what he's speaking, if you can see it. Now, before the wrath falls, right? Before the wrath falls, the Lord calls to the Lord. Understand what we are witnessing here is what the book of Revelation reveals to us through the great apostle John. Uh, the same pattern. The Father decrees the Lord executes. Not some angel, not some, you know, some other thing here. We're talking about the Lord to the Lord. This is the Lord. And he has him go and, and mark them. The Lord knows his sheep, right? He knows who you are. And he marks his own before the judgment. He's doing that right now in our time. If you can see it. And like we talked about yesterday, uh, the rabbis, they don't even understand this. They mention it, but they don't understand what it means, the significance of it. You can read their commentaries. I have some here that are 800 years old in my house. You know, I read some of the ancient writings of these men. And, and when they say that the mark that was put on the head of those that were sighing and crying for the abominations done in the house, all the abominations done in the house, that he put the mark of the tab on their forehead. And they say the best that they understand it is that the Tav, which is the 22nd letter of the Hebrew alphabet, there were 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet in the, its ancient form. Today, there's 27, which is the 22 letters with five variations of those letters to make up the vowel sounds that they have today. Anyway, the 22nd letter is the Tav, and the Tav, they say, is the mark for truth. In their writings, they say it represented those who kept the truth of the of the Mosaic Covenant. But that's not true. You know, that's how they see it. They reject the Messiah that we know, right? They're their own brother. They reject him. This is the Lord. And, and when you go back into the ancient manuscripts and you look at the ancient uh, uh, Hebrew phonetic alphabet, the, its original writing before it, you know, kind of morphed over through the years, the actual original Tav was in the shape of a cross. It was the mark of the cross. 
And so <laughs> it, it's very interesting in, in the sense that what we are witnessing here is, is, is the writer with the inkhorn, the heavenly high priest himself, in the spirit marking those that were preserved and to be preserved with the, with the mark of Calvary itself. It's quite amazing. And and it, it it even harkens back to um, the Passover, right? It was the Lamb who marked the door that preserved them when destruction came through. We're seeing the same pattern repeat itself, only this time in the Spirit, and it's come to rest in our time. See, all of this was happening in the Spirit. There's still four and a half years of actual time that was going to go by in the natural world. But unbeknownst to them, this is occurring. And they don't even know it's happening. They don't know that the clock has now started to tick and the ultimate destruction is going to come in about 48 plus months from this point on. Is it possible that the same thing is happening now? Have we witnessed, if you have eyes to see, a captivity come to pass upon the planet? You know, I just want to consider this real quick. And we're going to close here in a second, but listen to this. I want to consider this concerning the nation. It's a point of consideration. The hardness, the a callousness that had grown over the heart and the minds of their national culture. The people of God now, remember, we're talking about the people of God. In essence, it had deadened the voice of conscience. And now they were surrendered to their sinful compulsions without any conviction. Think of this. God is removing his presence in what we have been studying here of the nation of that time. And there, there is no conviction. They can't even sense that his presence is being removed. They're still living in an unbelievable sense of delusion of, of who they think they are. And they don't know what the prophet of the captivity has had loudly declared to him in the spirit that God is removing his presence from them, from the whole thing. You see, the wound of the sins they were engaged in, the wound of sin in their soul was so was finally seared in a way, you know, closed by their continuous heat of rebellion, man. Therefore, the conviction was no longer present in them. They could go to church, so to speak, and be religious in their practice, yet they lived in incredible, habitual practices of sin, and they could no longer feel remorse anymore. It died in them. If you've ever sinned, and we all have, but as a child of God, you know that you feel like a dog, man. I mean, just, God, why did I do what I did? You know, it's like, ah, you know, and, and if you've ever been there, I'm not talking to the holy moly's out there, right? I'm talking to real people now. But but if you've ever messed up, 
<laughs> I mean, oh, you know, you've wept and cried over that. You've agonized over it. But if I, you do it again, right? Uh, Brother Marty, it's it's very yeah. uh, powerful. I'm trying to make a correlation here. You're talking about the brazen altar that would have to be really the, that's the angels had to guard it to block it from people to access accessing it. This is the very thing. The brazen altar. What does it represent? Well, we offered sacrifices for our sins, right? It, it, yeah. It's a place of of death, a place of of you know that that animal taking our place that represented a messiah that would come this is the very thing that gave us access to god that is going to be guarded now being guarded which tells me just how deep in our delusion were the people that could not see it what they had done you know i think about this i think about in the beginning when god put adam and eve in the garden this is the place where God would, would, would speak to them, a place where the tree of knowledge of good and evil was, where the tree of life was. And this is the very thing that after they heard and they believed the lie of the enemy, what happens? God has to pretty much kick him out, out of the Garden of Eden, right? And right. what did he place there? He placed in the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep them to keep the way of the tree of life within which that tree of life is really jesus yes i, I don't know what horror it that what did adam and he must have felt you know the very place and they had to be kicked out and we see two um uh, we see angels coming to guard the way to the tree of life i don't know i, I just thought that's no that's really good that's the same pattern. Yes, I mean, that's the that's pattern, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and yet, outside of that garden, right, we see the very first sacrifice or second, yes. really, right? Sac in sacrifices are instituted, right? It, yeah. At least here in, in, in this world, in the human beings. You're right. Go ahead, brother. I'm sorry, but that, that's true. No, no, right. Now, you made me think of that because, well, God had to clothe them with skin, right? Mm -hmm. animal skin so the very first sacrifice took place in the garden the lord was slain before the foundation of the world and then yeah. abel <clears throat> he offered lamb right whereas cain offered the the fruits of his own labor his own works his own self-justification he justified himself before god and was rejected um it, it's it's an old story and an old pattern but it, it, it finds its fruition in the final days, right? It grows and grows and grows. But God hasn't changed. And I think that's what we're seeing is the consistency of, of, of the Heavenly Father and of yeah. the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. The, 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 the circumstances of sin might change. The nation might change. The people might change. But, but the, the justice and the mercy of God never changes. That's right. And, and so that's what that's what you're saying. I mean, that's a good point to make. So, again, you know what? They could go to church, so to speak. They could be religious in their practice of religion, yet they could live in incredible sin. And, and by this point, 
they can't even feel it anymore. The, the, the guilt of it, like we talked about. You continually do things over and over again, and there's a death that takes place. It's a frightening place mm-hmm. to be. Right. Uh, because, right? I mean, because what once used to tear you up, man, you you keep doing that thing. God will forgive you and forgive you, but eventually you won't even ask him to forgive you. It's not that he doesn't want to forgive you. It's that you won't ask no more because it doesn't bother you anymore. That's where they had come to. And ultimately, when they come to that, because and that was symbolic of those twenty-four and the high priest turning their backs on on the on the temple, right? And 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 he said, "Okay, that's it. They don't even want my forgiveness." Now, when the judgment falls, they'll come running to me, right? That's what he said in Ezekiel chapter eight seventeen. When they cry to me, you know, uh, I won't hear them. And so it's very it's very foreign today, brother Marty and brother Fernando, uh, for people to even think that we grieve the Holy Spirit. We mm. grieve the Holy Spirit with our act. We don't even think about that. You know what I'm saying? You know, what what uh, Ephesians would say in chapter 4, verse 30, uh, it says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby mm. you are sealed into the day of redemption. So these thoughts, because they're, they're not preached. Look at the messages that we hear today. You cannot out God. <laughs> Pretty much you can live the way you want. His grace will abound in you. And, and we don't think that who lives inside of us, God himself, we are temples in a practical manner now, right? We are those yes. temples. where This is where God puts a part of his glory inside of us through the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the triune God. And we don't even think about things like what the Holy Spirit says, excuse me, what the Bible speaks about in Isaiah, about vexed, you vex the Holy Spirit. What Paul yeah. said to Ephesians, you have grieved the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul spoke to the Thessalonians in chapter uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, quench not the Spirit. Yeah. And and we, we don't process these things anymore. We just do things like you said, and we don't even, it doesn't move us anymore. We've lost touch, yeah. you know, who look lives at, inside of us. Look at the morale, like the 180. Uh, direction from like 9-11 to 2020, you know, when, when 9-11 happened, you know, the first thing was that people thought is go to church, right? Correct. You know, find yeah. God, you know, we were celebrating mm-hmm. our first responders and, and, you know, singing God bless America and holding up the American flag. 19 years right. later, our churches are closed. We're wow. trying to, you know, the, the American flag means nothing. You know, our first responders are under attack, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, what happened? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, All right. it's, it's, All what, right. it is what you're talking about. Like, it's a nation that's reached a point where it no longer has, their minds are seared. We spoke about it before the podcast, right? Their, their yeah, minds yes. are becoming so depraved and so, so messed up. You know, and it's, it's, you know, nobody's asking the the right question, not not behind the pulpit, not in the church. Nobody's saying well, the right thing. You're right, and 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 I think that that the the main reason why, because to to talk like we're talking right here, uh, <laughs> it, it 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 it's it's a tough 
thing if if you're if you're doubt you know dipping your toe in the in the pool of sin, man. You know, preachers don't want to preach about it. You know, because uh, first of all, it has to come from a heart of brokenness and love, of course. But secondly, it puts pressure on the man of God. It puts pressure on the people because we don't want to talk about what is obvious. Like you just said, brother, that, I love the way you put that. You know, 9-11, we're filling our churches, celebrating our first responders and and uh, thanking God for America, right? Thanking God bless later, America. <laughs> right? 19 years later, we're, we're shut our churches. We're burning down our cities. We hate the flag. We're burning Bibles in the street. Right? We're burning yeah, our churches. Yes. Wow. What happened? The preachers quit preaching the word of God. That's what happened. That's what there's that day of vengeance that Isaiah speaks about that's coming. Why? Mm -hmm. And it shook me yesterday when I read it in Isaiah 63.10. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he he was turned to be now their enemy, and he fought against them. That's wow. <laughs> that, that, that's heavy. <laughs> that's it heavy. is. It is. You know the very the very God that America has proclaimed for over two hundred years or more, now is the very God that's going to become our enemy. Think about that. Wow. I think that is. I mean, I, I'm not speaking to you. I'm just in general. Think about what we just said. The very right. God, the, the God bless America now will become an enemy and turn against us because of our rebellion, because we have not repented, because we have vexed. He said, you can sin against me, but if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, right? That's the, and that's where we have turned to, brothers. So I just thought about that. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what they did, man. I mean, that is what they did. What is ultimate blasphemy of the holy spirit and, and, I, and yeah. right and, and 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 in essence as i've come to see it it is it is the removing of his influence from your mind and your heart purposefully and that can happen yeah, yeah, in yeah. many right that can happen in many yeah, different that's, ways that's what you're seeing that's what you're seeing in the removal exactly. of God's glory in in yes in, in ezekiel it's the mm -hmm. ultimate blasphemy against his Holy Spirit, against the, the, the glory of the Lord. He, yeah. You know, it, it's what it's 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 what's supposed to be indwelling in the heart and mind of the believer, the Holy Spirit, right? When when another outside entity infiltrates the body of Christ, then the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is committed and now it, it's a it, you can't have those two things going inside of you you're going to have one or the other and and, to, and we've spoken about this this is the this is the abomination of desolation that we're talking about that's that is the blasphemy against the holy spirit yeah right if you want to get deep into it um so so yes this is what's happening in the mind and psyche of the people they are replacing the holy spirit the church now with an image of jealousy in their own mm -hmm. minds, collectively, as the body of Christ, and starting with each individual, right? Right. Yeah. And, and and this is 
a great sin. This is a great sin, you know. And, and that's why Paul, and, and even speaking to us, not just as a whole, but as individuals, and, and I know I read this yesterday, but I read it again to remind you what Paul puts them on notice, the leadership and the believer who he's talking to, reminding them, know ye not, understand, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And he says this, if any man defile the temple of God, with the Spirit of God dwells, right? Him shall God destroy. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul says. Yeah, and... and, and, and go ahead. Go ahead, Brett. No, oh, that, that, was, say, that was it. Yeah, I was going to say there in, in that particular scripture, we turn over there real quick as as we're winding down here, but we're, we're, we're going to turn over there and look at what Brother Jeremy just said. Uh, I think it's in First uh, Corinthians. Yeah. Chapter uh, three. Chapter three. Yeah, chapter three. What he's actually referring to there is what we're seeing taking place in Ezekiel, like you said, Brother Jeremy. The 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 ancients, the 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 twenty four chief princes of, of the divisions of the Levitical priesthood and the Levites themselves are all preachers. They're all ministers in the house of God. And when Paul takes it to another level in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he's referring not to the individual life, oh, although that truth is, is you know, it is, is obvious, right? We're supposed to live a certain way. Uh, but he's actually referring to, to the ministers in, yes. in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he, he starts talking. Right. Yeah, the leadership, he starts talking to the church that was fighting amongst each other. You know, they mm -hmm. had their favorite preachers, right? In, in, <laughs> yeah. verse, uh, in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, can you read that? Or uh, yes. Actually, all the way through 7, 4 through 7. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, verse 8. Now he that planted and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And then he and now he's talking to the church about preachers, and he says in verse nine, "What we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. You are God's building. Yes. But he says we're the preachers. We're the laborers. He's telling them." But you're the building. And then he says mm -hmm. this. He says, according to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation. Somebody else builds on that foundation. But let every man take heed how he's building on that foundation. Because no other foundation uh, can any man lay except which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Uh, the Lord, right? And then he goes on to tell them uh, 
as he's addressing the preachers now, he's saying, you better take careful what you do in God's building. And he tells the church, you better be careful who you let inside your building. Preachers now. Not just, you know, messing around with sin, which goes without saying, but he's actually talking about defiling the building, which is the yes. church. Verse 16 and 17. Can you read that to us? Yes. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. He's saying to them that who you allow to uh, yourself to be exposed to in the in the in regards to the ministry of the word, uh, you better you better be careful uh, who you're allowing to and, and understand that you are the church, you are His temple, and His glory, His Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. And then He turns His His attention to those who come and preach to the church. And say, if you defile his temple by what you say to them and what you teach mm. them, mm. God's going to destroy you. That's what he's saying. <laughs> See, and that's what we're seeing in Ezekiel. They came in there and defiled God's temple, which at the time, even though it, in truth it, it, it's it's the people of Israel that was the temple that was defiled, it was represented by the actual literal temple and what they had done to it. But now in our time, we are the temple. And what's actually defiling that collective temple is is incredibly, incredibly, <laughs> like you said, Brother Fernando, you know, we, we thank God bless America. You know, we went to church. We embraced our first responders in 9-11. We thank God for America, and here we are 19 years later. We, has anyone prayed? Really? Seriously? No. What have we seen instead? And like you said, what happened? It's obvious what's happened. The temple's been defiled, and they love to have it so. Right. <laughs> Actually, Brother Marty, there are people praying but the prayers they're doing is to forgive it, to forgive us for allowing slavery, to forgive us for uh, you know offending our Native Americans. Those are the prayers of repentance that we are making. Yeah, and how about forgiving? How about forgive us for, for, for offending <laughs> you? Right, to God. Right? Yes, that's uh, the point. Because, You're right. Right. Yeah, forgive us for messing up here, and forgive us for messing up there. That makes God look like he's some grumpy old guy up in the sky, right? This is this right. is such high level stuff we're talking yes. about. We're talking about creator. We're talking about angelic hosts. We're talking about the consequences of sin reverberating into the very realms of the dimensions of heaven itself. We're talking about things at such a high order that most won't even understand what we're saying. Those of you who've been following the way that the Lord has been speaking over the last several months, you know what we're saying. And those of you that will join these programs later in the next several days and weeks, go back and listen to these podcasts starting in March and bring yourself up to speed because God is speaking to all of us. And all of us need to examine ourselves. You see, God was with, go back to Ezekiel, and we'll close with this. God was withdrawing the presence of the Lord from from public institutional religion. That's what he was showing it. 
The whole nation was being left wanting, desolate, devoid of his presence in advance of his judgment that wouldn't come for another four years. But it was happening and they had no clue because they were so hard. They didn't even feel it. They couldn't feel it anymore. That is scary. But you see, (laughs) they couldn't feel that he was lifting his presence. They couldn't discern it. Even though it was well underway, but God was letting Ezekiel witness it. Why? Because he represented all them brothers and sisters under captivity. And he was revealing to him what was actually going to happen. So that he could tell his brothers and sisters. So he could tell the elders. Ezekiel was witnessing the city, the temple, the nation, the re- the religious and political elite class of their day, they were already marked and being marked for destruction in the realm of the spirit, and they had no idea. Like we said, there was four years, four and a half years left in the natural, but in the spirit world, brother, it was settled. I want to ask the question, (laughs) could this be happening right now? Have we reached the same level? Speaking personally, um, absolutely. And, you know, I I could say for the last 10 years, right, since we've we've had conversations amongst each other, uh, Brother Jeremy and Brother Marty, we've, we've spoken about the direction of our nation and where it's going, and we were sensing another uh, 9-11 of sorts that was coming. We mm-hmm. didn't know how, mm-hmm. but we, we sensed something else was going to, uh, you know, further the framework of what the book of Revelation is speaking about. And lo and behold, 2020, here it is. Here it is. So it's not something that, you know, we found ourselves in the middle of a pandemic and now we're we're assuming or, or this is what we get out of it. No, it, we again, you, you need to know what ha- was happening in the past and the direction, the decision-making of the leadership of this nation. And it's like I said earlier, uh, Brother Marty and Brother Jeremy, if we can justify killing 70 million babies in the womb, we can justify anything. You're right, brother. And that's exactly what's happening. We yeah. justify killing children in the womb, and now anything that they say can be justified, and and the nation and the church is eating it up. Incredible. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. There are <laughs> consequences for these kind of actions. Right. Consequences. Right. And that's right. And that's the question, right? Is this happening again to us? And again, we're talking about prophetic parallels. And, and I just want to, you know, I want to read you guys something. Because it, 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 this is, you know, and, and those of you that are listening, this is going to be our last podcast on Ezekiel. Because we've said about as much as we can say. And I encourage you to go on and read uh, chapter 9, 10, and 11. Because you'll see 
the how God removed himself, but yet he protected those that truly loved him. Jesus protects his own. He puts a mark on us. Paul talked about us, like we talked about yesterday, being sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, right? So, but I want to ask this question. Have we, at our highest levels of religious leadership, political class as well, is it possible that we have reached that level of, of defilement where where his presence is being removed and we can't even feel it? And And is he revealing it? to those who have come up under this captivity but have felt separated, brother from brother, sister from sister. I was reading this thing this morning. Listen to this. This is a study that was done uh, by the uh, by George Barna, the researcher George Barna. Uh, he, he He's just gone to work for the uh, Arizona Christian University. Uh, and they just launched the, what they call the Cultural Research Center. In January of this year, they did a massive uh, uh, research, and, and they, did a, they did a questionnaire and poll. And this comes from uh, today's uh, email I got today from Christian Headlines. Uh, the headline was, a record low 6% of Americans now claim to adhere to biblical to a biblical worldview, only six percent. A new study shows that only listen to this. A new study shows that only six percent of the of Americans adhere to a biblical worldview. The survey is a premier study of the annual report conducted by veteran researcher George Barna of the newly launched Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. The survey found that approximately one-fifth of congregants in evangelical and Protestant churches hold to a biblical worldview, only one-fifth, whereas only one-sixth of those who attend charismatic or Pentecostal churches, 16%, adhere to a biblical worldview. Only 16% of people who attend Pentecostal and charismatic churches hold to a biblical worldview. Additionally, the, and, and it's worse with the mainline Protestants, only 8% of them and only 1% of Catholics. Well, being an ex-Catholic, that one's not hard to imagine. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but listen to this. Uh, it says that, that the survey found that th- those who call themselves born-again Christians, they were three times more likely to have a biblical worldview. But that's only 19% of them. Wow. And listen to this. The report asserts that there has been an extensive decline of core Christian principles in America over the last seven decades. The societal shift toward non-Christian worldviews like postmodernism, Marxism, secular humanism, and modern mysticism is most clearly reflected in the values of this report. Now, alluding to prior research, Barna elaborates that the dominant values in the United States today are acceptance, comfort, control, entertainment, Mm -hmm. entitlement, 
experiences, expression, freedom, and happiness. The current values ultimately demonstrate a shift in the moral landscape from the previous eras in which a more widely accepted biblical worldview yielded to civic duty, hard work, humility, faith, family, moderation, and the rule of law. And then they asked him, well, what do you think about your survey? He says, unless America experiences a steady increase in people reflecting a biblical worldview in their life, America's future is more likely to resemble that of the nations characterized by moral and behavioral chaos. Alternative perspectives such as postmodern uh, Marxism and secular humanism is driving American thinking and, and their lifestyles these days, she added. And the embracing of the and the embracing of the occult, she says. Now, that was the that's the nation as a whole. I mean, they were they, when you heard like 19% born again people have a biblical worldview, only 8% mainline Protestants and and 16% uh, Pentecostals. They were included in a general survey and identified themselves as that. But listen to this: 58% of Americans believe that moral truth is up to each individual. Nearly six in 10 Americans believe identifying moral truth is up to each individual, while barely four in 10 say that God is the basis of truth, according to a survey done in America. A total of 58% of the United States adults agreed that there are no moral absolutes that apply to everybody hmm. all the time. And surprisingly, 48% of the adults who said this identified themselves as born-again Christians. We are living in an America increasingly unshackled from its biblical foundational truth said Lynn Munsell, president of Arizona Christian University, even in the most basic questions of life, like how we make moral choices, we're choosing to lean completely on our own understanding to decide what's right and wrong. As a nation, we're becoming increasingly self-reliant. We trust ourselves or our discoveries rather than the true principles that God provides. The diminished role of God in people's lives highlights why just 6% of American adults possess a biblical worldview. It's one thing to lack theological clarity regarding biblical perspectives on immigration policy or the end times, he said. It's a much more serious condition when the general public outright rejects God as the source of truth, the Bible as the conveyance of truth, and the very importance of integrating a known proven and stable source of truth into our daily decision-making and lifestyle. And I'll finish with this. This is, this survey was specifically done with the church. Now remember, we've been studying Ezekiel 8. We asked the question, is it possible we've reached this point? Listen to this. 
an alarming 52% of evangelical churchgoers reject, 52% now, (laughs) of churchgoers reject absolute moral truth. A slight majority of evangelical churchgoers believe that there are no moral absolutes anymore. Three quarters of the churchgoers think people are basically good and and there really is no such thing as sin. It's all up to you. Now listen to this. Pentecostal slash charismatic mainline Protestant and Catholic churches uh, were, were given a survey of 51 particular beliefs and behaviors. And what was discovered was that the Pentecostals and Charismatics, 69% of them, 58% of Protestants and 69% of Catholics say that there is no absolute moral truth that applies to everyone all the time. This was a blind poll, so no one knew no one's names. They just knew what they identified by. And so they they freely answered knowing that no one was going to know who it was that was answering. And these were the percentages they came up with. On the question of sin, a large majority of evangelicals, 75%, 76% of the Charismatics, 81% of the Protestants, and 84% of the Catholics, they disagree with the statement that people are sinners. American Christianity is rapidly conforming to the values of the post-Christian secular culture, he said. Now, understand that the survey, they said, only examined the beliefs of people who actually attend church. Listen to what these people said who actually attend church. 43% of them believe that Jesus had to have sinned in one way or another, once or twice. Wow. Did you hear hear what I just said? (laughs) This is... This is the church in America now. This is an official study that was done by Arizona University. 43% believe that Jesus sinned. 43% do not believe that there is a common God-given purpose to humanity. And 42% seek moral guidance primarily from sources other than the Bible. George, George Barner, the director of the research at the Cultural Research Center said that the data represents a post-Christian reformation being driven by people seeking to retain a Christian identity. Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. They want to still label themselves as Christian, but this is what they actually believe. And unfortunately, the theology of this reformation is being driven by American culture rather than biblical truth. The worldviews embraced by the adherents of these distinct religious communities reflect contemporary worldly influence rather than biblical influence. Now, check this out, brothers. These findings are based on a January 2020 survey of 2,000 United States adults who are frequent church attenders. I find it interesting that that survey came out in January of 2020. And once that was published, it was just a few weeks after that that we ended up in what we see today. 
58% of Americans mm. believe moral truth is up to each individual. Brothers wow. and sisters, <laughs> that's the American church. America's church stands on the brink, you know? And, and like Ezekiel and those of the captivity and those who were sealed, the Lord is protecting and preserving his own. He is coming soon. To those that love his appearing, he's going to appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Brother Jeremy, can you close by reading us Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 22 through 25? Yes. Then did the cherubims lift up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain which is on the east side of the city. Afterwards, the Spirit took me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God into into Chaldea to them of the captivity. So the vision that I had seen went up from me. Then I spake unto them of the captivity all the things that the Lord had showed me. My mind. Ezekiel saw what he saw when it was done and the presence was removed in the spirit now. The Lord took him all the way back, redeposited him into his clay vessel. Hmm. I like what he I like what he says in verse twenty five. He says, "Then I told them of the captivity, all the things that the Lord showed me." I think that God is speaking to His people, and I think that He has His servants all over the world right now. And I think that there are those that have separated themselves or been forced out of, you know, that, that, <laughs> that whole mainstream culture we were just reading about. And, uh, and, and God's giving answers to what's actually happening and what's coming. He, Ezekiel didn't hold back. He said, he showed, he showed everything to the captivity. He told them everything that God showed him. Right. 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 And and I think that's where we are today. What were you going to say, Brother Fernando? Could you close this out? Yeah, he said he, he didn't hold back in anything that he said um, for the good of the people. And <laughs> I think much of the conversations that we've had amongst each other is, Lord, how much do we say? <laughs> right? Yes, how much exactly. <laughs> You know, there's just so many things that, uh, as as we go along, and and you know, time will dictate. The times will dictate uh, how much more will be revealed. And I know there's some people that already see much more than what we're saying, and they're beginning yeah. to see that 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 voice you spoke about is loud. It's coming forth. The the abominations being done by the priesthood of today is being made known unto the children of the Lord, right, unto his servants. So it, it's, 
it's it's an, an unfolding thing that we're talking about here. Um, and we just ask for your prayers that yeah. as we go yeah. forth, that the Lord will lead us to say things at the proper time, to say them correctly and accordingly. Um, because the enemy is also listening, right? <laughs> He's listening, and, and and we have to be uh, led of the Spirit in everything we say. Like Paul said, pray that there will be a door utterance opened. Um, that's what we're asking the listener. Please pray for us. Um, I know the reason I say that is because I know when I was first saved, I would always be get blessed by the ministers that I would listen to, um, but it never dawned on me that they needed my prayers until later on. And um, we need your prayers because the the opportunity that we have to come to you is prayers answered uh, by, you know, by the Lord that are being made by his people. So we we humbly and, and, you know, with reverence understand uh, what we're doing. So we, we just ask for, for prayer uh, as we go forward. Then I spoke unto them of the captivity, all the things that the Lord had showed me. We pray that you've been blessed today with this podcast. And uh, we we know that God is speaking. and, And he is speaking not just to us. He's speaking to your spirit, speaking to your life. And we pray that you join us tomorrow as we continue to search, as we begin, as we continue to glean from what, from the word of God. As my brother said, keep us in your prayers. Keep us lifted up before the Lord as we pray for you also. May God bless you. May God keep you. And as always, keep looking up.